0: A science story, huh? Is NYU they uh, I, I felt, felt I, goodness goodness. Goodness. I was so And happy. I just thought, oh, well. I figured It, out. I
1: it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly. And welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook we thought you might like is Imagine How Creativity Works by Jonah Lehrer, the author of Proust Was a Neuroscientist. For that or a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash story. That's audiblepodcast.com slash story. Coming up, our second year anniversary event, May 22nd at the Bell House in Brooklyn. We're getting really excited about this. We'll have stories about twisted and unusual paths to careers in science. And as a special treat, music by the Amygdaloids, a neuroscience-based rock band. Tickets are on sale now at storycollider.org. Meanwhile, this week's story is from Deborah Berebeshez. Deborah is the first Mexican woman to graduate with a Ph.D. in physics from Stanford University. She's a physicist, author, and media personality whose initiatives to popularize science have impacted thousands of people around the world. She regularly appears as a science expert on different international TV networks, and currently she is the TV host of National Geographic's Humanly Impossible show. The story was recorded in February 2012 in front of a live audience at 92Y Tribeca in New York City.
1: So I'm going to tell you a story that's not just a short story, but it's really the story of my life. Uh, I grew up in Mexico City in a fairly conservative community where, since I was very young, I was pretty much discouraged from doing anything technical or, or scientific or mathematic. Uh, my mother um, came from Guatemala and married my father when she was 19 years old and had me when she was 20 and pretty much told me that I better not like anything studious or academic because no boys would ever talk to me. And to be honest I think she was right. But I kind of, you know, I keep hoping. Uh, but so I I grew up in this community and, and I was just really curious about math and physics and all that, but I never had the courage to do it or explore it because it just wasn't allowed and it just wasn't for me. And then also I happen to be kind of gregarious and social, so forget about it. It's like even worse because you're either You know social and you have friends or your studios and you do math that's it and so I grew up in this community and and I really was extremely inquisitive and I annoyed pretty much everyone around me my teachers my parents my friends because I asked everything why 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 does this happen the way it does and it came high school and I said I want to study physics and philosophy I guess I, I thought philosophy is kind of like physics, it uses a different method, but it still asks questions about the world and why things happen the way they do and so on. But it didn't really go well with anyone. My mother was appalled, like, no way, you know, you should just study a more feminine career, you know, like entertainment or communications, if it is that you're going to school. and you know, my counselor in high school was, uh, you know, math is not really for women and let me help you and gear you towards a more feminine career. And my friends were the same, like philosophy and physics have nothing to do with each other. So I decided to repress those feelings and, and really focus on something that was more viable. So you know, After high school, I enrolled in the philosophy department in a private college where all the nice kids uh, went in Mexico and all my friends and what they call in the meantime while you find the husband and you can get married and so on. And so I, I was studying philosophy but quickly, the more I tried, uh, quickly I realized that the more I tried to suppress those feelings of passion, for math and for reading the biographies of all these amazing scientists that I couldn't share with anyone, the more I tried, the more it was bursting. And I, I really felt like I, I couldn't take this anymore. And, and and I was just you know faking it through the world. And I saw my life as meaningless because I had to pretend that I didn't like all these things that were surrounding me. I, I didn't have all these questions. And so I, I enrolled in philosophy and after two years, I was devouring the f- courses like uh, a philosophy of science and logic and, and all these equations and all that that I got a glimpse of, but I was terrified. I wasn't really the typical student that was great in math, like the math wizard in the class. I wasn't bad at it, but I really wasn't, like I didn't have parents who were, you know, incredibly cultivated who had PhDs in engineering from the United States, nothing like that. So I said, okay, this is really not my lot in life. And I continued with philosophy until one day, I just said, I, I gotta try. And I applied to schools in the US because I found out that in the US you can study many subjects, not just one. So I got a scholarship, fortunately, to attend Brandeis University, which is a small school in Massachusetts. And I arrived there and I realized that there were other women studying math and science and I was very happy about that. And I enrolled very fearfully, but I enrolled in this course that was a very in- intro course uh, called Astronomy 101, where you know we were like 200 students and there was a microphone in class and there was no identity. It was just like a sea of faces trying to pass with a good grade and that was it. But I was so curious and so passionate about every little thing they said that I became very good friends with a teaching assistant who was a graduate student from India. And I just got back from India a day ago, so this is pretty special for me to tell you the story today. And this man by the name of Rupesh um, just told me that my eyes would light up every time that I asked questions about the universe and the planets and the orbits. And I wanted to talk to him beyond the, the tasks of my assignments. I was really deeply curious about why the world worked the way it did. And so one day we're walking, I had already, uh, I was selected to attend the leadership course that summer. And we're walking, I had a scholarship for uh, only two years because I was a transfer student from Mexico. And I I was walking in Harvard Square in in Boston, and I sit down next to the Divinity School in a tree, and something just burst in me. And with tears in my eyes, I tell Rupesh, I just don't want to die without trying. I want to do physics. And we didn't have cell phones at the time. But he called his advisor, who was my uh, professor at the class. He didn't even know who I was. And he said, I have a student here. She's in philosophy. She's dying to do physics. She has a scholarship for only a year and a half more, two years. What can we do? So this advisor says, bring her to me. I go to a meeting. He hands me a book. And he says, this is a book called Div, Grad, and Curl which is uh, vector calculus, pretty advanced math for somebody who didn't even remember algebra, and says, if by the end of the summer you can do this, we'll let you skip through the first two years of the physics major. And I'm like, holy cow, like, this man is joking. And not only that, but I find out that the reason why they're doing this is because there's another person quite a bit older than me, Ed Witten, who by the way is a genius in physics and he's the father of string theory, a famous uh, physics theory, who had done this before at Brandeis. He switched from history to math. And so, you know, this professor thought, oh, she's gonna be able to do it. So (laughs) I spent this crazy summer where I was so hungry for knowledge and so incredibly interested and passionate about physics that I persevered like crazy. I saw no other thing that than my first love, which were equations. And Rupesh, this Indian man, sat with me every day after my two hours of lab in the morning and taught me. But because of time constraints, it was like Saturday derivatives. And you gotta understand, I mean, people took derivatives for like a whole semester or a quarter, and then Sunday integrals. And not even, I didn't even have time for the theory. It was really just like practice and practice. and. And, you know, that's why I always tell people that if I was able to do it with that background, anyone could do it. And so I, I, I persevered and across two months in that summer, you know, I, I, Rupesh managed to not only believe in me, but tutor me and, and, you know, mentor me in all these topics. And I presented the, the test come September and I passed and, and I entered the physics major in the second, second and a half year. And here I am in class. Rupesh says, now you're on your own, goodbye. And here I am in class and I'm like, holy cow, all these people, these are like the physics geniuses, the math wizards, whose parents were either the, you know, top engineers or Nobel Prize winners and, and all that. And here I am, little me, I, I, I have no background, you know, very little knowledge of things. So I I just try to not burn too many capacitors in the electronics lab and, and kind of walk my way through things and but I you know I'm really in love with knowledge and I, I, I keep hiding it from my parents. And I I still I recall my visits to Mexico where you know I was mostly introduced to potential bachelors and I had to hide the fact that I liked math and and you know sometimes I, I would read books about the history of science because I wasn't really allowed to confess that I was studying science. It's kind of a, f- a funny thing because I guess in the US, I learned that it's, it was kind of prestigious to be a scientist and you know back home, it was something that I had to hide. So it was a, a big realization that I was sort of a strange person within my community. And so uh, I graduated with, um, after a lot of work with highest honors in physics and philosophy from Brandeis and then I went back to Mexico and a few years later, I was crazy enough to not even r- really knowing who I was writing to, but I wrote an email to this uh, researcher in, in California who invited me to do work with him and basically I got admitted to do uh, my PhD with the current, most current Nobel Prize winner who's now the Secretary of Energy. Steve Chu and I, I, I worked uh, at Stanford and I, I managed to finish uh, my PhD and in 2005 I became the first Mexican woman to gain a, a PhD in physics from Stanford and um, you know the, I <laughs> thank you but it's uh, and then uh, the reason why I find the story about Rupesh compelling is because for those two or three months when Rupesh was teaching me and believing in me nonstop, I always wanted to compensate him for his tutoring. And I asked him, you know, every day, you know, I would buy him lunch or something, but I, th- there was just so many things that I wanted to do for him or pay him back. And he said, no, uh, let me tell you a story. And this is, I believe, a very sort of Indian culture story. He said to me, when I was growing up in the mountains, in Darjeeling, there was an old man who used to climb up every day and teach me and my sisters English, math, and the tabla, which is a musical instrument. And every day, my father said, let me pay you because you're educating my children. And this old man said, no the only way you could ever pay me back is if you do this with someone else in the world. So Rupesh chose me, and he did that with me. And that's how my mission to encourage and educate other people who, like myself, feel attracted to science, but that for some reason, whether it be financial or social or any other reason, feel that they can't do it, those are the people that I try to reach and encourage and illuminate and tell them that no matter what, education is the best gift that you can give to yourself and to your loved ones because nobody can ever take that away from you. Thank you.
0: That was Deborah Berebiches. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than a 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcastcom story. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our magazine, archives of the podcast, and our upcoming events. And of course, Don't forget about our anniversary show, May 22nd, at the Bell House. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, and Aaron Barker. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, Josh McCall, Luke Davin, David Gaines, and Rafaela Benin. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to 92Y Tribeca for hosting the show, and to Traffic Lights for having both stop and go. Thanks for listening.